أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما نافعا ربي اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Reflections on the Risale-i Nur by Bedi-uz-Zaman Said Nursi podcast series. You can listen to the episodes of this series wherever you listen to your podcasts or at the website www.reflections-rn.org. In this episode, inshallah, we will continue reading the 20th flash. This treatise is about ikhlas which we can translate as sincerity in purpose, the purity of intention. It's a very special word. It's a very special word that is at the core of what we acquire from what we do, what we acquire from our deeds. We may do something that is so beneficial, that's so useful, that's so praised by by God and His Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, But if we do not do it with ikhlas, in the end, it amounts to nothing. It is like the coefficient with which we multiply the value of our actions. This treatise is one of the two treatises that Ustad Nursi wrote about ikhlas, the 20th flash and the 21st flash. And the 20th flash is a response to what Ustad Nursi calls a dreadful, confounding question. And the question is this. Why is there concord? among disbelievers and discord among believers. The believers are receiving their guidance from a single source, God, and disbelievers are receiving their guidance from multiple sources, a variety of sources. This requires the intellect to assume that there will be concord among believers and discord among disbelievers, concord among the people of truth and discord among the people of the world and misguidance, but the opposite is the case. Why is that happening? Is there something wrong? What is implied under this? Although Stav will not say that, but what is implied by this, and that might be in some people's minds, and that's a very dangerous place to be, is that if this is the case, is what if what we are observing does not match what our intellect has, does that mean that there is something wrong with, with the believers or what the believers believe? May God protect us from going there. Ustad Nursi gives seven, seven responses, seven explanations uh, in response to this question, and each one is a cause for why is there, why there is discord among believers. And in each one of these, he also explains that dignity and truth remains with the believers. The believers are on the right path. The believers are on true guidance. And disbelievers are on to misguidance, on the path of misguidance. They do not have dignity. They do not have truth on their side. However, multiple reasons, multiple factors come together and believers end up not having perfect concord because they are not following the, the, the principles, the requirements of their faith to a point. They are failing in translating their faith 
they are failing in translating the guidance that they receive into action. And Ustad Nursi goes over the ways in which believers are failing to translate the, re- the guidance that they receive into action. We read through the first five. Today, inshallah, we are reading the sixth. Altıncı sebep. The sixth cause. Ehli hakkın ihtilafı namertliklerinden, himmetsizliklerinden, hamiyetsizliklerinden olmadığı gibi, gafletli ehli dünyanın ve ehli dalaletin Hayat-ı Dünyeviye'ye ait işlerde samimane ittifakları dahi merdlikten, hamiyetten, himmetten değildir. The discord among the people of truth, among believers, is not because of the, the lack of manliness, the lack of enthusiasm to do good, and the lack of love for doing good among them. And the genuine concord and cooperation among the people of the world among the heedless people of the world and misguidance in affairs pertaining to the world is not because of their manliness, because of their enthusiasm to, good, to do good and because of their love for doing good. Here we have three words that are key to understanding this treatise and they are very difficult to translate. Mertlik, hamiyet, himmet. Uh, so I, I think it behooves for us to go over them a little bit one by one before we move on. Mertlik is a Persian origin word and it, it means manliness. Mert is a brave man. Uh, however, here we, we are not talking about gender. We are talking about a character trait that we might find among men and among women. It is bravery. It is commitment to one's words and friendships. It is commitment to one's cause. A mad person, a, we can also say chivalrous, a, a manly is the word we are going to use for translation here. A manly person does not renege on his word or her word. A manly person does not fail her or his friends. A manly person is going to be brave and courageous in the face of difficulties. Hamiyet or Hamiya is love for good like philanthropy but it's not necessarily charity love for any form of good uh, sometimes it is used in correspondence to patriotism that's right if one loves his or her country and wants to do good for it that is a form of hamiya but that is a that is a a form of hamiya it is not hamiya per se it is love for doing good doing good out of nothing but because of this innate desire to do good, innate attraction to doing good. And himma is similar, but it is the enthusiasm and energy and effort that one has uh, for doing good, that one can summon in his existence for doing good. One may be tired, one may have put lots of effort into something without outcome and therefore maybe jaded a little bit, burnt out a little bit. But if this person has himma, a high himma, this person will keep going. He is going to find someone energy somewhere, somehow, and will keep going. So manliness, love for doing good, and energy, enthusiasm for doing good. Let's try to repeat. The discord among the people of truth believers is not because of the lack of manliness and love for doing good and enthusiasm for doing good among them. And 
On the other hand, the genuine cooperation of the heedless people of the world and misguidance in affairs pertaining to the world is not because of their manliness, love for doing good, and enthusiasm for doing good. Belki ehil hakkın ekseriyetle ahirete olan faydeleri düşünmekle o ehemmiyetli ve kesretli meseleleri hamiyeti, himmeti, mertliği inkısam eder. To the contrary, what happens is that the people of truth usually think about, have in their minds the benefits pertaining to the hereafter. And because this is at the forefront of their minds, this is what they are preoccupied with, their manliness, their love for doing good, their enthusiasm for good, doing good, is allocated to those important, significant and multiple affairs. It is divided among them. So how can we make this more concrete? I have pride in my heart. And that is going to be my foremost preoccupation. I'm going to try to purify my, my lower soul. I'm tr- try to going to overcome the compulsion of my compulsive soul. I have anger in my heart. I cannot hold myself in, in states that, that you know, drive me into, a, into anger. I need to work on that. I want to earn paradise. I'm going to withdraw to a corner and I'm going to do zikr remembrance of God. I'm going to do my litany, daily litany. I'm going to invoke God. I'm going to hide myself from people and keep saying Astaghfirullah. Oh God, forgive me. And these are all very important, very significant things, very essential things that we all have to do. Because ultimately what we are trying to achieve is felicity, success in the hereafter. You know, there is this saying uh, which is likely to be a hadith prophetic tradition but sometimes it is also attributed to Ali radiallahu an and other people too work for the world as if you will live there forever and work for the hereafter as if you are going to die today or tomorrow so this sometimes is understood as do both work for the world as if you are going to stay here forever therefore invest for eternity in this world and work for the hereafter as if you are going to die tomorrow therefore invest for the hereafter as if you are dying tomorrow and eternity is over there that is a misunderstanding of this saying what it means is work for the world this world as if you are going to live forever which means that you have time if there is a matter that pertains to this world you know it, it is not that urgent you have time, you will come to it, you will work on it. You can take steps, you can prioritize other things before it. In the list of priorities, it comes after, what after the hereafter, because you may die today, you may, you may die t- tomorrow. And therefore it is urgent. Matters of the hereafter are urgent, they have urgency. Now, the question is, how do we find out what is a matter of the hereafter and what is a matter of this world and how do we prioritize among the affairs of the hereafter there there might be a trick so the people of guidance people of truth do have manliness do have enthusiasm to do good and do have love for doing good they have commitment 
if you bring all of these three words together, the gist that we are going to get from them is commitment. Commitment to one's words, commitment to good, commitment to one's cause. If one has this commitment, one will be brave, manly in standing for his cause or her cause. One will have commitment to his or her cause and to doing good. Now, of course, doing good here is doing good in affairs that will please God. Again, we need to be careful about what pleases God more. What, what has priority in the particular context that we are in? Hakiki sermaye olan vaktini bir meseleye sarf etmediği için meslektaşlarıyla ittifakı muhkemleşmiyor. Now we are talking about the people of truth. And we said that because they are thinking about all these very important affairs, matters that pertain to the hereafter, their manliness, commitment, love for doing good, enthusiasm for doing good, their commitment is divided among those affairs. It is a divided commitment. Hakiki sermaye olan vaktini bir meseleye sarf etmediği için. Because he or she does not spend his true, true capital, which is his or her time. Time is our true capital. Money? Yeah. But the, the real thing is time, because we cannot not spend it. And the moment that passed, passed. We cannot not spend it. And whatever we do, we are going to do while here in this life, through our life, within the time span between our birth and our death, and that is the real thing that we have. We are going to be accounted for how we spend that. And therefore, it is our real, true capital. So this person, believer, does not spend his true capital, which is his time, on only one thing, but on multiple things. And therefore, his cooperation with his with the people who, who go on the same path with him, with whom he shares the path, does not consolidate. So he spares some time for that path, and then he moves on and does this and that and that and that. Lots of things. And therefore, because his time is divided among these multiple purposes, his cooperation with his co-travelers cannot become consolidated. Çünkü meseleler çok daire dahi geniştir. Because the matters to be attended to, the affairs to be attended to, are many. And the circle is very wide. So it's not only many things, but it is in a wide spectrum of things. Many things in many different subsections of the duties that one has. One has to do his prayers, one has to do the fasting, one has to do his Zikir, one has to attend to his family, one has to do so on and so forth. Gahfetli ehli dünya ise, yalnız hayatı dünyeviyeyi düşündüklerinden, bütün hissiyatıyla ve ruhu kalbiyle şiddetli bir surette hayatı dünyeviyeye ait meselelere sarılır. The heedless people of the world, on the other hand, because they think of the worldly life alone, they uh, embrace the worldly life with all their emotions, senses, feelings, and their spirit and heart with vigor, with all their existence. So there is this focus of attention 
all the energy all the effort whatever is there and there isn't much of it but whatever is is, is there is going to be focused on one thing and that is the life in this world the life in this world is short compared to the width and depth of the matters affairs concern, concerning the hereafter the life in this world is short and small and easier to focus on ve o meselede ona yardım edene kuvvetli yapışır and because this person embraces worldly life the life of this world with, with all his senses emotions feelings heart and spirit he cooperates with people sticks with people who help him or her in this matter with force he stays with them he sticks to them with force ve hakikat noktayı nazarında beş paraya değmeyen ve ehli hak ona on para kıymet vermeyen meselelere divane olmuş elmasçı bir Yahudinin beş paralık cam parçasına beş lira fiyat verdiği gibi beş yüz lira kıymetindeki vaktini o meseleye hasreder. We are continue, continuing to talk about the disbeliever people of the world, heedless people of the world. Why heedless? Ustad Nursi repeated this word twice to this point because they are people of the world. They are heedless to the enormous tremendous reality of the hereafter they are not recognizing they are not seeing the reality as reality is we are continuing to talk about the people of the world who are heedless to that utmost larger bigger picture the bigger reality so from the point of view of reality there are matters that are not worth five cents Here, uh, Stadnursi is using Ottoman and, and, and Turkish currencies, but I'm going to use uh, dollar and cent because it makes sense uh, to many more people. Now, from the point of view of reality, there are matters that are not worth five cents and the people of truth would not give them even ten cents. They, they wouldn't give them much value. However, the people of misguidance, people of the world, will give them $500 worth of their time. Like something, Ustad Nursi is, uh, is using an analogy here, like a Jewish jeweler, a Jewish person who cuts diamonds, who has lost his mind and therefore gives $5 for a piece of glass, not a, not a piece of diamonds. A piece of glass that is worth maybe five cents. He gives five dollars to it, although it is worth five cents. Why? Because he has lost his mind. Now, Mr. Nursi is using an analogy that made much sense to the people around him at the time because in the late Ottoman Empire, today too, Jews were usually uh, jewelers, especially in Istanbul and other you know, major cities of of the country and perhaps there was a story about a Jewish jeweler who had lost his mind and therefore paying these exorbitant amounts of money for jewels that were not not real jewels for imitations so the important thing here is that the world is like an imitation it is not the real thing it is not a diamond it is a piece of glass but one who has lost his mind and therefore is heedless to reality as reality is one who cannot evaluate the real value of things may look at that piece of glass think that it is diamond and give it a lot of money so that is the likeness of a person of the world a heedless person of the world 
who spends $500 worth of his time for a piece of glass, for a matter that is not worth even five cents from the point of view of the people of reality, from the point of view of the people who see reality as reality is. Elbette bu kadar fiyat verip ve şiddetli hissiyat ile sarılmak batıl yolunda dahi olsa samimi bir ihlas olduğundan o meselede muvaffak olur ve ehli hakka galebe eder. Now this is the fine point. Of course, because this person, this person of the world, this heedless person, gives so much price to this affair and embraces it with such vigor, with, with such forceful emotions, even though this person is on the path of falsehood, he achieves a genuine sincerity in what he is doing. And because of this genuine sincerity that he achieves in doing what he is doing, in that matter, he achieves success and overcomes the people of truth. Now, again, the emphasis here is on worldly affairs, not in everything. Only with regard to affairs of this world, the person of this world, because he is paying so much attention, so much effort, so much commitment, to this affair, he is going to achieve a level of sincerity and purpose. And the laws of creation that God has decreed in his creation entails that whoever commits to something to this extent is going to achieve a level of success in it. And in these affairs, this person is going to overcome the believers. Now, this is not an absolute uh, judgment. This does not mean that the people of the world will always overcome the people of truth, people of reality, the believers in world affairs, and the, uh, the, the hereafter will remain for uh, the believers. No, that's not the case. When the believers follow the guidance of the Quran, the prophetic guidance, what they believe in completely to the point in the right way, they will be successful in this world and in the hereafter because this world is a part of reality and they see reality as reality is. And therefore what they do corresponds to those laws that God has decreed in the creation even better than the disbelievers. However, they fail. Again, they fail in translating what they believe into action. Bu galebe neticesinde ehli hak zillete ve mahkumiyete ve tasannuya as a result of this overcoming the disbelievers, overcoming the believers because of the ikhlas, because of the genuine sincerity that they achieve in the world affairs that they pursue, because of this overcoming, the people of truth fall into abjectness, subordination, and start to imitate the disbelievers and fall into ostentation start to behave in ways that they are not. There, there is this saying that's attributed to Rumi, either look, appear as you are, or be as you look. And this, this, is, this is manliness, this is mertlik, right? But the believer, because, of, because he is overcome, now he is in this state of abjectness. Remember, this was written in 1934, shortly after World War I. The entire Muslim world is colonized by mostly the Christian world, or in the case of the Soviet Union, by outright disbelievers. 
Muslims are being subordinated, defeated, insulted everywhere in the world in 1934. And the situation has not changed tremendously since then. We have lots of independent Muslim countries, but the state in which the people of these countries are living, believers all around the world living from a worldly point of view, is, is an abject state. If we were given the choice whether we wanted to be among the believers or non-believers, only from a worldly point of view, from the point of view of uh, wealth and welfare and health conditions and mental health and uh, material benefits and so on and so forth, only from a worldly point of view, if we were given the choice uh, between living in a non-Muslim uh, predominantly non-Muslim country and a predominantly Muslim country around the world, and if we were to assess each and every Muslim and non-Muslim country one by one, most of us would choose to live in some of the, not all of the, but some of the predominantly non-Muslim countries. And the immigration trends all around the world is evidence for that. Why? Because believers, as a result of this overcoming, fell into an abject state. They are subordinated and therefore they are inclined to imitation and ostentation and therefore they lose ikhlas, sincerity in purpose. Because if there is imitation and ostentation, sincerity cannot be there. O namerd, himmetsiz, hamiyetsiz bir kısım ehli dünyaya dal kavukluk etmeye mecbur olur. He becomes obliged to act as a um, flatterer before some of the people of the world who are not manly, who do not have um, enthusiasm to do good, who do not have love for doing good. He feels obliged to flatter them. He feels obliged to curry favor with them. Although they are disbelievers, they are lacking all these good qualities. They are lacking commitment to good. The believer who is subordinated feels obliged to carry favor with them. And again, imagine this in 1934, shortly after World War I. Imagine the context of Turkey in which Ustad Nursi was writing what he was writing. The Turkish government, the Republican elite of the country, wanted to westernize Turkey altogether but the way they thought this entailed was transforming people's appearances. They started from the appearances. They passed a law on uh, dress and required men to put hats with visors all around. This, according to some scholars who uh, lived in the, at the very end of the Ottoman Empire and witnessed some believers, some Muslims, imitating non-believers in their dress, etc., could even amount to disbelief. One of those scholars, uh, Iskilipli Atufoja, had written a book about wearing hats and, and imitating the non-believers. And later on, when the Republican elite passed a law about wearing hats and required wearing hats, they considered this an act against government and executed, the, uh, executed Iskilipli Atufoja. He had written the book much before this law had passed, but they did not want opposition. So this is a context in which the Republican elite is trying to push believers to behave like non-believers, 
to behave like the the uh, Westerners, Europeans who represented these believers, non-believers in Turkey or before the eyes of the Turkish people, and who had subordinated Muslims all around the world. And what might also be relevant here is the very particular context in which Ustad Nursi was writing what he was writing. 1934 is a year in which he and the people who had gathered around him in order to read the treatises that he was writing and spread them around uh, Turkey were arrested, taken from Barla to Sparta. Now for those who do not know much of this history, Ustad Nursi in the early 1920s had seen what the Turkish elite, the, the Republican elite was about to do in the country. And he decided that it was not possible to struggle with them in political terms uh, from a worldly point of view. He withdrew to a mountain in his uh, native lands in eastern Anatolia. But shortly after that, there was a rebellion in the region. And although he did not take part in the rebellion, he was considered to be too dangerous, too charismatic a person to be left in the area. And the Republican elite exiled him from eastern Anatolia to a village in western Anatolia, to a village called Barla. And this was a very distant place. One had to climb a mountain, then cross a lake by boat, and then climb a, a little bit more, and that was Barla. He was exiled there. And the Republican elite who exiled him thought that they were done with him. They got rid of him. However, there, Ustad Nursi started to uh, dictate these treatises, which in the end became the Risale-i Nur to the, the villagers around him and to a few people who were literate. So the literate people would write what he said and then they would hand copy it and then pass it on to others and they would read it and hand copy it and pass it on to others. And all of this was happening under the ground secretly because he was an exile and it was forbidden, first of all, to, to use the Ottoman uh, script. The, the, the, the script in which the Turkish language was written was changed from the Arabic-based uh, Ottoman alphabet into the Latin-based Republican Turkish alphabet. It was forbidden to use the Arabic script, let alone spread religious knowledge at this time. Many scholars were either exiled or executed and forced into inactivity. And Ustad Nursi, under these circumstances, was writing these treatises and they were spreading spreading fast from Barla to Sparta, the city that this Barla village was a part of, and to other people around the country. In a brief period of time from 1926 to 1934, he wrote the bulk of the Risale-i-Nur, and people really committed themselves to this. At some point, some of the villages of Sparta, hundreds of people were writing the Risale-i-Nur treatises Sometimes they were illiterate. They would put the treatise on a piece of glass and then put an empty blank, uh, blank paper on it and turn a light bulb under the glass and then trace over what they saw on the, on the inscription below. They were illiterate. They did not know how to write. But in this way, they would copy these treatises and spread it around the country. And this played an important role, very important role, especially when those treatises spread to the entire country, this played a very important role in preserving people's faith and piety, understanding of Islam in Turkey. 
later on in the late 1950s and 1960s on these works were printed and and spread around the country in other forms but at that time Ustad Nursi relied on these friends on these uh, followers disciples who were working to spread the word with such commitment so that now we can un perhaps understand the, the emphasis on commitment here here Ustad Nursi is saying what you are doing is right do not think that because the people of the world have concord among them they have the government they have the gendarmerie they have the police they have they are cooperating toward their goal in unison and the people of belief have spread all around the world all around the country they are forced into inactivity they are subordinated and some of them have even started to imitate some of them, ha them have even taken their you know, turbans which was a symbol of scholarship off and put on the, the hats that the government obliged every man in the country to put on Mr. Nursi is saying don't do it don't become flatterers don't carry favor manliness commitment to good commitment to doing good enthusiasm love for good these noble characteristics all belong to believers and they should keep them as the characteristics of believers then he says ey ehli hak ey hak prest ehli şeriat ve ehli hakikat ve ehli tarikat so he's saying oh the people of truth oh the truthful people of sharia hakika and tarika all oh, the truthful people of the the uh, divine law, divine jurisprudence that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam brought with the Quran, with through revelation. All oh, the people of reality, all oh, the people of the Sufi paths. Now these are not two different things from Ustad Nursi's point of view. Uh, he he thinks that Sharia, Hakika, and Tariqa, Sharia, reality or truth. And, and Sufi paths are integral to one another they, they are integrated they cannot be separated from uh, one another if anything Sharia encompasses all others they are like concentric circles or not even concentric circles they are intricately deeply interwoven concepts you cannot separate them from one another however traditionally especially in scholarship there are the uh, people of Sharia that there are the jurists there are the uh, and here in this particular context it is uh, more a reference to uh, you know, dialectical theology and people who try to prove the truth realities of religion through logical reasoning and people of tariqa people who follow uh, sufi paths or in other sense it is going to be especially the distinction between hakika and tariqa is going to be between the intellect and the heart all the all the jurists all the people who emphasize following the religious divine law in order to please god all the people who emphasize uh, correct belief and intellectual uh, contemplation and intellectual truthfulness for coming closer to god's pleasure all the people who emphasize purifying the heart in order to come close to god's pleasure you have at this time spread all around we have spread all around and we cannot come together he is addressing them all together 
He's addressing them, all of them, and saying, Bu müthiş marazi ihtilafa karşı birbirinizin kusurunu görmeyerek yek diğerinizin ayıbına karşı gözünüzü yumunuz. Now he identified the problem. There is a commitment to good among believers, but they are not able to translate into that into complete action because their commitment is divided among multiple objectives and they cannot prioritize this properly. Oh, the people of truth. Oh, the truthful people of the Sharia, Hakika, and Tariqa. The solution. He's offering a solution. In the face of this dreadful sickness of discord, do not see one another's faults, defects. Close your eyes. Close your eyes for the reproachable things that you see in one another. For the faults that you see in one another. And then he quotes a piece from a verse here. Is a marru bilagvi marru kiraman. This is from the 25th chapter of the Quran, from the chapter titled Al Furqan, which can be translated as the criterion, the criterion that separates, separates truth from falsehood. And this, of course, is a title in, in, in one of the names of the Quran itself, too. And what it says is, talking about the believers, when they pass by frivolities, they just pass by. They don't pay attention to it. They pass by and move on, preserving their dignity. So, Ustad Nursi is saying, when you see these things, think of them as frivolities, as things that are insignificant in the particular context that you are in, we are in. Think of them as frivolities, close your eyes, don't see it in your Muslim brother. If you see it, close your eyes and move on. Acquire the etiquette, adab, etiquette of the Furqan. So it is both the Quran and the name of the chapter. You think, Adabu Furqani ile edeplenniz. Wa iza marru billagbi marru kiraman. Adabu Furqani ile edeplenniz. Acquire the etiquette of this verse. In what? In witnessing faults, defects, reproachable things among your Muslim brothers and sisters, among the people of truth. Why? Because you are sick with a dreadful sickness which is leading to discord among yourselves and breaking your commitment to your cause. You need to stay steadfast on your cause and this requires, your cause requires cooperation among yourselves. And when you see these problems in one another and lose your commitment as a result, what is losing in the end is your cause. Ve harici düşmanın hücumunda dahili münakaşatı, münakaşatı terk etmek ve ehli hakkı sukuttan ve zilletten kurtarmayı en birinci ve en mühim bir vazifeyi uhreviye telakki edip yüzer ayat ve hadisi nebeviyenin şiddetle emrettikleri uhuvvet, muhabbet ve teavvünü yapıp bütün hissiyatınızla ehli dünyadan daha şiddetli bir surette meslektaşlarınızla ve dindaşlarınızla ittifak ediniz. Of course a long you know, sentence we are going to try to parse through it. So at the time of the attack of external enemies, it is a principle 
that we stop internal disputation and we consider saving the people of truth from dissent and objection the, the first and most important, most prioritized affair pertaining to the hereafter. So remember we talked about prioritization at the beginning. At the time of attack from outside, disbelievers or the, the world, the world in a metaphorical sense and in a literal sense is attacking the believers and trying to destroy them. At this time, in, a, in circumstances like this, what you need to do is stop all internal disputation and do what? Consider saving your co-religionists, co-believers, the people of truth from dissent and objection. The first and most important affair of the hereafter. The, the disbelievers cooperated in worldly affairs. The believers are dividing their commitment between many affairs pertaining to the hereafter. And that is important, that is necessary, that is something that they need to do, they should do. However, what is the most important affair pertaining to the hereafter under these circumstances? It is to protect the believers, the community of believers, against the attacks of external enemies. Yüzer ayat ve hadisi nebeviyenin şiddetle emrettikleri uhuvvet, muhabbet ve teavvünü yapıp So under these circumstances, you should work on what? Brotherhood, love among believers and mutual assistance among believers which is forcefully commanded by hundreds of verses and traditions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is what the verses and the hadith, the prophetic traditions are commanding. Do focus on under these circumstances. Achieving brotherhood, love, mutual love and mutual assistance among believers. Bütün hissiyatınızla ehli dünyadan daha şiddetli bir surette meslektaşlarınızla ve dindaşlarınızla ittifak ediniz. Cooperate with their co-travelers and co-religionists with all your emotions, all your senses, with all your, with your entire existence, in a way that is even more vigorous, more powerful than the way that the people of the world are cooperating with one another. Yani ihtilafa düşmeyiniz. In other words, do not fall into discord. Böyle küçük meseleler için kıymetdar vaktimi sarf etmekten ise o çok kıymetli vaktimi zikir ve fikir gibi kıymetdar şeylere sarf edeceğim deyip çekilerek ittifakı zayıfleştirmeyiniz. Do not say that instead of spending my precious time over small affairs like this, I am going to spend it over zikir, remembrance of God, and fikir, contemplation, which are you know, precious, valuable. Do not say this and withdraw yourself from the community and therefore as a result of that weaken cooperation. Now again, this is a matter of priority and we need to understand this correctly. Ustad Nursi is not saying that zikr and fikr, remembrance of God and contemplation are not precious. No, that's the, his entire work, the Risale-i Nur, uh, especially the words in the Risale-i Nur, is a testimony to the significance and importance that he gives to zikr and fikr. 
to remembrance of God, invocation of God, and contemplation. However, what he is saying is, do not withdraw from the community for individual personal zikr and fikir, thinking that what the community is doing, what the congregation community is doing together is insignificant compared to that. Because that is a misunderstanding, what the community is doing. And especially, again, remember the context in which he is writing this. 1934, that, that group of people, that group of disciples have gathered around him. They are writing the Risale-i-Nur uh, treatises and spreading them to, uh, to the entire country. And in 1934, the government, government clamps down on this network. They exile many of them. They exile uh, Nursi from Barla to Sparta and to the center of the city. And from there, they take the most prominent among uh, the most prominent people of this network to Eskishehir, where they imprison them and they uh, try them uh, in a lengthy trial. So this is the context, and Ustad Nursi is saying, "Don't withdraw from the service that you are rendering to the cause." to the cause of preserving faith, preserving the Sharia, preserving religion in this country where the people of the world are attacking to destroy it. And do not think that the context today is completely different from that context because if governments are not attacking to, to, to destroy religion in the world today, and which is not you know, completely true because there are countries where the governments are attacking to destroy religion, Islam, in the world, such as in uh, Eastern Turkestan, in China. But overall, if the governments are not explicitly attacking to destroy religion, there are other things that are attacking to destroy religion. Satan does not sleep. Satan is, is, is not withdrawing from uh, society once, once these troubles that Ustad Nursi and his friends had to go through were over. No, Satan is still there. Satan is still working. Consumerism might be a way in which Satan is functioning now. The all sorts of chatter and nonsense, that, the all sorts of frivolity that we are subjected to through the internet might be one way that Satan is working now. So we need to keep all of these in mind. The circumstances are not entirely different. There still is external attack on the believers. So Ustad Nursi is saying in this context, do not withdraw from the community. Do not leave the service that you are rendering to the cause. Work with the believers. Cooperate with the believers. That is where, for, where strength is. That is where the most important, most significant service that you can render is. That is where the priority has to be. And again, this does not mean, absolutely does not mean, do not do remembrance, do not do zikr. For instance, do not pray. Instead of praying, go and, and uh, uh, give the sermon to, the, to people. No, that's not. That's not what he's talking about. We are trying to please God. We cannot please God by not doing what he decrees to be obligatory upon us. So if a person says, I'm spreading the truth, I'm telling everybody about God, and therefore I'm focusing on this, I'm sparing my entire time on this, and therefore I'm not praying my five daily prayers, this person is a liar. He's not spreading anything but falsehood. Right? That's not what we are saying. What we are saying is, again, about prioritizing. Do not withdraw from the community thinking that what the community is doing is insignificant and you are going to do more important things. What you think is more important is not more important.
Çünkü bu manevi cihatta küçük mesele zannettiğiniz çok büyük olabilir. Because in this metaphysical spiritual jihad, what you think is a small matter may be a very big matter. So this, the spiritual jihad, metaphysical jihad that Ustad Nursi is referring to here is what we might now call da'wah, invitation to Islam. Preserving faith and the and the truth of faith, realities, truth of faith among the believers and spreading it to non-believers. Helping believers learn their religion and helping non-believers learn about the religion. That's what they were doing. They were spreading this knowledge through the treatises that they were copying from Ustad Nursi's works. So in that particular context, this was the case. And in the context that we are living too, we need to help each other. The believers need to help each other, give each other good advice, need to help each other preserve knowledge and increase in knowledge because knowledge is the basis of actions. There is no action without knowledge because if we don't know, know if we don't know what we need to do, how are we going to do it? Bir neferin bir saatte mühim ve hususi şerait dahilindeki nöbeti bir sene ibadet hükmüne bazen geçmesi gibi bu ehli hakkın mağlubiyeti zamanında manevi mücahede mesailinde küçük bir meseleye sarf olunan senin kıymetdar bir günün o neferin o saati gibi bin derece kıymet alabilir, bir günün bin gün olabilir. So he is, Ustad Nursi is giving us another analogy here. Think of a private soldier who stands guard under some special circumstances at an important time. He stands guard for one hour. But because of the difficulty and direness, the, the, the significance of the conditions, circumstances in which he stands guard for one hour, the reward he gets from that one hour of standing guard may be the worth equivalent of a year of worship. And this is a ba basic fact that we know about what we acquire from our actions. On Laylatul Qadr, for instance, may we have all found it in the last days of Ramadan, which we finished. You worship one night, but it counts as if you worshipped a thousand months. So, there are circumstances where the situation is so dire and the service is so important that this, this soldier, this private soldier who stood guard for one hour may have acquired a year's worth of worship. He did not do something significant on the face of it. He just stood there and looked. But that was a very significant task for that particular circumstance. Likewise, Stad Nursi is saying, at this time at which the people of the truth are defeated, a small matter from among the matters of spiritual struggling, spiritual jihad, a, a, a day's worth of effort put in in the struggle in the way that private soldiers one hour became a thousand fold uh, valuable that one day of yours that you spend in the way of the spiritual jihad may become a thousand days you may acquire the reward of a thousand days by sp spending one day in the way of this spiritual struggle the spiritual struggle of spreading knowledge, spreading the 
principles, truths of faith to believers and non-believers. Madem livecin lahtır, o işin küçüğüne büyüğüne, kıymetli ve kıymetsizliğine bakılmaz. If we know that it is for God alone, it is done with this yearning to see God's countenance in the, in the paradise, and therefore it is done for God alone and nothing else, i.e. it is done with ikhlas, we do not consider, we do not think about whether it is small or big, precious or not precious, valuable or, or, or not valuable. İhlas ve rızay, rızay ilahi yolunda zerre yıldız gibi olur. If done with ikhlas in the way of earning God's pleasure, a speck becomes like a star, a particle, a, a very tiny thing becomes like a massive star. Again, think of the coefficient because the coefficient is so big. Vesilenin mahiyetine bakılmaz, neticesine bakılır. We do not look at the quiddity of the means, but we look at its outcome, consequence. Madem neticesi rızayı ilahidir ve mahiyesi ihlastır, o küçük değildir, büyüktür. If its outcome is God's pleasure and its leavening is ihlas, it is not small, it is big. And of course, here we need to uh, enter a caveat. Ustad Nursi here says, we do not look at the quiddity of the means, but we look at its outcome. This does not mean ends justify the means. Ustad Nursi is very clear about this. Elsewhere in the uh, book, the words, or actually in a small treatise, small collection of aphorisms that he adds to the end of the book, the words, he says this. القاتل لا يريث bir düstur azimdir. Gayrimeşru tarik ile bir maksada giden zat galiben maksudunun zıttıyla görür mücazat. القاتل لا يريث this is a principle in Muslim jurisprudence the killer the murderer does not inherit. If a person for instance killed his father he is not going to inherit the the the inheritance whatever is left from his Father, this is a tremendous principle, he says, and then the tremendousness of the principle does not only come from this particular situation of a murderer and a father, but the general principle on which this this ruling is based. Gayrimeşru tarik ile bir maksada giden zat, a person who uh, proceeds toward a purpose, an objective, through an illegitimate path, Galiben, overwhelmingly, maksudunun zıttıyla görür mücazat, is punished with the opposite of his objective. So if this person is moving toward an objective, trying to achieve an objective, but he does so through an illegitimate method, the punishment will be the opposite of what he was trying to achieve. And then, Oh, and based on this general principle, Ustad Nursi says something that is very closely related to what we were just talking about. Avrupa muhabbeti gayrimeşru muhabbet. Hem taklit ve hem ülfet. The love of Europe is an illegitimate love. It is imitation and it is familiarity. What imitation can be understood easily, I suppose, and illegitimate love can also be understood. Ülfet. Uh, familiarity refers to 
a person first having the necessary criterion to evaluate whether an act, a thing, is good or bad. But because of exposure to bad, again and again, over time, he becomes used to it. He becomes familiar with it and he starts not to feel this troubling um, urge to avoid it when he sees it next. This might be about, let's say, eating an item. At the beginning, let's say this person thinks cheese that is suspicious because sometimes cheese may be, uh, you know, the, the uh, enzymes used in a cheese may be coming from a sort that is not halal according to some you know, points of view. So this might, person might have, you know, doubts, doubts and suspicions about eating particular types of cheese, especially in a, in a uh, you know, predominantly non-Muslim country. But because of the circumstances, he eats it once. And then after a while, he eats again, and then again, and then again, and then again. And in the end, he starts to think that, well, there's nothing wrong with this. Because, see, I ate it many times. If I ate it many times, the very act of doing it repeatedly starts to justify what he is doing. So, Ustad Nursi is saying here, the love of Europe is an illegitimate love. It is imitation. And, of course, imitating non-believers, disbelievers, uh, because of love for them, is something that is discouraged. And it is also familiarity. It is familiarity that develops over time. Akibeti mukafat mahbubun gattarani adaveti jinayat. What comes out of this, the reward for this, is going to be the cruel hostility of the beloved and murders. And again, this is written in a context when, where uh, Ustad Nursi witnessed World War One, the westernizing efforts among Muslims before that, and the the outcome of murders, the murdering of believers in the in the war, and the cruel enmity, hostility that he witnessed when the British occupied Istanbul uh, right after World War One, and Stadnusi was there for several years uh, during this time. Fasik mahrum bulmaz nelezet The habitual sinner will never find delight or salvation. So from this, we clearly understand that Ustad Nursi does not think that the ends justify the means. In the 21st flash, he will also say, God's pleasure should be in your acts, in your deeds. So it's not in the objectives that you pursue with your deeds, but the deeds themselves, which means that the methods, the paths, that you follow in order to achieve an objective have to be legitimate, have to be, um, have to be uh, close to earning God's pleasure. So when he says uh, the, the means may be small, but if the outcome is God's pleasure, it's okay. We do not consider whether it is small or big. We do not look at the means. We look at earning God's pleasure. What he is referring to here is the... Uh, the perceived smallness or bigness, perceived significance of the means, not the legitimacy or illegitimacy of the means. 
you may be doing something in a community you may be taking part in the service uh, rendered by a community you may be taking part in a work that requires the cooperation of multiple people and on the face of it the work that some of these people are rendering may be more visible and some of them render may be less visible do not think that the visibility is an indication of the reward that's acquired from those activities no the activity is done together therefore the outcome is uh, achieved by the community the congregation all together and everybody takes part in it and acquires their rewards in accordance with the ikhlas with the sincerity in their hearts not in accordance with the, the visibility of what they do a car needs all the parts that are put into it brought together in it in order to function and travel the wheels are more visible the steering wheel is more visible but if a screw is missing in the engine the car will stop you may be the screw in the engine but the entire thing continues to function because you are there as a small invisible screw moving from the analogy to, to what Ustad Nursi was telling us if you think that what I am doing here is really insignificant I'm just a screw I'm just going to withdraw I have more important things to do I'm going to withdraw from society and I'm going to give myself to contemplation and remembrance vicar and so on and so forth you are destroying the entire car you are destroying the service that the entire car is rendering you are stopping the travel so don't do it this is witnessed uh, witness knowledge from from Ustad Nursi's point of view because when he was asked about uh, him being exiled to Barla in, in, in, the, in the 1925 1926 and thereafter he says that uh, I witnessed these things in Ankara among the Republican elite the elite who founded the Republic and I decided that one could not struggle with the religiosity that they were uh, pushing through politics by force and I decided to withdraw to a cave in in my native lands and he did that he withdrew to a cave and gave himself to this ascetic life of contemplation and zikr and so on and so forth but he says fate did not give javas fate did not permit that because that was i was thinking of myself only at the time while the entire community was suffering so fate did not give javas permission to this and i was exiled from on the face of it, I was exiled by the you know, Republican elite, by the you know, forces to be. But in reality, I was exiled by fate because I had a service that I had to render. I was sent to my position where I was going to render that service. And um, one last caveat in relation to what we are reading uh, here. When Ustad Nursi talks about Europe and says love of Europe is uh, and is, is an illegitimate love and so on and so forth this is not a general um, general attitude general judgment about about Europe so we should not misunderstand this there are people in uh, who live in Europe or in America because in the previous episodes we saw that when he says Europe he might include America at the time that he lives in the 1920s 1930s uh, in it therefore 
he may be talking about what we refer to as the West with a capital W. So there are people who are living in the West. What we are saying here does not mean that one should avoid the West. One should avoid everything that is uh, you know, Western. One should just you know, pack and, and go. No, that's not the case. He says elsewhere, don't misunderstand. Yanlış anlaşılmasın. Avrupa ikidir. Don't misunderstand. Uh, there are two Europes. Birisi İsevilik dini hakikisinden aldığı feyz ile hayat-ı içtimaiye-i beşeriyeye nafi sanatları ve adalet ve hakkaniyete hizmet eden finunları takip eden bu birinci Avrupa'ya hitap etmiyorum. So in this treatise he addresses Europe and then he says don't misunderstand. There are two Europes. What I am addressing is not the Europe that with the faith, with the with the benefit and increase and blessing that it receives from the religion that was brought to to to them by uh, Jesus السلام, that uh, develops these benefits that are good for humanity human social life and that serve in the way of justice and truthfulness and so on and so forth such as such as uh, in constitutionalism such as democracy such as uh, you know, Republican uh, government. All of these things were principles that Ustad Nursi heartfully agreed with, and that might be a discussion for another time. He says that I am not addressing the Europe that brought to humanity these good things. No. Belki felsefeyi tabiyenin zulmetiyle medeniyetin seyyatını mehasin zannederek beşeri sefahete ve dalalete sevk eden bozulmuş ikinci Avrupa'ya hitap ediyorum. To the contrary, I am addressing the spoiled second Europe which leads people into dissoluteness and misguidance as a result of the darkness that comes from uh, the naturalist philosophy and shows the, the sins, the evils of this so-called civilization as beautiful to people. So there is a distinction that he is making here. And he's a very precise person. One has to, whenever one reads something like this, the you know, love of Europe is a, an illegitimate love. Whenever one reads something like this, one should try to go through the ent entire uh, you know, collection of the Risale-i Nur, his entire work, and try to understand Ustad Nursi in his entirety. He is not talking about a general hostility or a general rejection of Europe. No, he's talking about the rejection of the evils that spread to the world from Europe at the time that he lived and continues to spread both from Europe and elsewhere now. So he is talking about rejecting evil, not imitating evil. To go back to our actual discussion, what we went over today is that Commitment to truth, commitment to reality, commitment to doing good, manliness, love of good, enthusiasm for doing good. These are all characteristics that are essentially that essentially belong to believers, people of people of truth. However, because they cannot prioritize between the affairs, among the affairs that they have to attend to, and this includes the affairs of the hereafter, and that's a really broad circle, really broad spectrum of things to, to attend to, because they cannot prioritize uh, properly and put them together properly. 
they define their effort, they divide their commitment among many purposes, and they cannot bring those purposes together in unison, and therefore they lose the actual power that are theirs because of their commitment. Whereas the disbelievers, non-believers, because they focus on one thing on the world, and that is a small thing, with all their senses, with their entirety, they give themselves to it and commit to it with vigor. And as a result of that, they achieve some kind of ikhlas, some kind of sincerity and purpose. And as a result of that, they are able to cooperate and overcome believers. Believers, when they are overcome, fall into this very mistaken, very dangerous position of thinking that perhaps the non-Muslims, the disbelievers, have something right. The people of the people of the world have something right, and they attempt to imitate them. They attempt to flatter them. They they decrease themselves to the point of currying favor with the disbelievers and also lose their dignity as a result of that. However, this is where ends do not justify the means comes. The reward for a person who tries to achieve an objective through illegitimate methods uh, by walking by taking an illegitimate path is the opposite of is the opposite of what he tries to achieve opposite of his objective and therefore we should keep that in mind and a consequence of the situation is that believers may then think okay that nothing is coming out of our uh, you know, working together here with the other believers, I'm going to withdraw myself from the service that is required by the community. The non-believers, the disbelievers, the people of the world have already overcome the believers. I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to give myself to you know, personal zikr and contemplation and so on and so forth. But don't do that because this is a special circumstance in which everybody's service is needed and there is no big or small service because the service is the service of the community the community is an integrated compact entity that functions with the participation of everybody in it nobody whether the person is a small invisible screw or the visible wheels of the car nobody is small in this everybody acquires what they acquire from the reward that is incumbent upon the entire community in accordance with their ikhlas, sincerity in purpose, in accordance with the sincerity in their hearts. Inshallah, in the next episode we do um, with the 20th flash, for the 20th flash, we will read the seventh cause and that is the last cause. We will finish the 20th flash. And from there on, we will continue with the 21st flash, which is also about uh, ikhlas. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allantana innaka anta al-alimul hakim. Wa akhirul dawahum an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Al-Fatiha.